there we go. We're back again for another episode of Friday Night Counterattack. And I'm looking forward to this one because I've got Julian, my friend, back on the podcast from all the way from Canada. So, Julian, thank you very much for joining us today. And why don't you tell our listeners what we've got planned for everyone this summer? We've got a little mini-series planned, haven't we, Julian? Yeah, yeah. So this is something that we've uh, planned out for you guys for a while back. I believe April uh, we've been thinking about this. And uh, this is, I love the idea when Hamza proposed it to me because this is one of the main reasons why I love Syria, going down deep into the roots of the soil and learning about the history. That's why I fell in love with this league. So Hamza and I will be uh, collaborating with several episodes uh, throughout the summer to pretty much cover all the history revolving around the top clubs within the Serie A. We'll be bringing on special guests who pretty much are follow these clubs. And we're going to want to hear, we're going to be taking the time to listen and uh, learn about the, their insight and how they became uh, fans of these uh, top class clubs within the Serie A. Yeah, definitely. And we don't, we're not going to go all the way back. We can do, but I know for a fact people listening will be like, now nah, I don't have the time to listen all the way back. So we'll go through like our modern history that we understand and that what we've seen as well. So for me personally, it will be going all the way back to like the Carlo Angelotti era uh, from like right. 2002 onwards, 2003, which will be really, really good to see. And we thought we'd bring on a special guest. So um, our special guest today is called Lucas. But Lucas, I know you have a social media page. So why don't you plug that for everyone listening? And yes. um, uh, that would be great is, for us. It is cultural underscore underscore talk. Uh, I report news about the latest on Italian football. I give my opinions on stuff. It's just all about Italian football, really. Fantastic. That's really good to hear because, again, like we said just before the recording of the podcast as well, I wanted to know a bit more about um, how you felt when you were growing up as an AC Milan fan. And obviously, you're a lot younger than I am. So I wanted to kind of know a bit more about how it was like growing up as an AC Milan fan after their successful period, really. Uh, well, for me, it was kind of like I started watching football really like seriously at the beginning of the banter. It's so like 2014. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my first Milan game was 2014 in the summer against Olympiacos at BMO Field. So we lost that game, I'm pretty sure, 2-1. Mm. It was very bad. Uh, but yeah, a lot of growing up as a Milan fan was pretty sad, you know. Because I was always told, oh, Milan were so good back in the day. They they won all these Champions League. They have sent Champions League, 18 Scudettis. They're, they're one of the best teams in the world, right? That's what, that's what I was told every time. Yeah. And so I, I was watching a team filled with players like Niang, uh, just players that weren't worthy to wear this shirt. Abate, Mexes, yeah. those kind of players. Who else did you have? Um, yeah. You had a uh, Solimentari once upon a time as well. After he moved from Inter Milan to right. Inter Milan again, you had a lot okay. of plays. Uh, Kevin Constant. Kevin Constant as well. Crazy, but no. Um, just before everyone goes on about saying um about AC Milan in their banter era as well, we are going to start from the very beginning from my era of seeing AC Milan going forward, and that was again around 2002. But that was when Carlo Ancelotti started in 2001 at AC Milan as well. So. For me, going into it, it was really fan, uh, fantastic to see how AC Milan were one of the best teams in Europe at the time when I was growing up as well, because I've said it previously on different podcasts as well. The technology um, that you see in football now didn't exist back then. So in terms of sports science, in terms of um, self-care and self-development, when you saw players hitting 32, 33, 34, um, for, for the both of you guys listening on the podcast as well, it didn't exist. So people were retiring then. But seeing someone like Paolo Maldini 
play until he's 40, 41 years old for AC Milan in the likes of 2007, 2008 was incredible because it shows how much he genuinely took care of himself outside of football to become that kind of player. And now we're seeing it more and more with the likes of Ibrahimovic going up to those kind of ages, Ronaldo going up to those kind of ages as well, which is great. But all the way back to the beginning, back in like 2002, I think that's when uh, AC Milan had a really scary team. They had a really scary team. They had the likes of Rui Costa in their midfield. They had a young Kaká coming through in midfield as well. Gattuso, Seydorf. Uh, Perlo was taking a chance by Carlo Ancelotti as well. And it's fantastic to see how they really stormed through. And it was only two seasons afterwards in 2003 when AC Milan actually won the Champions League for the first time as well, which was incredible. And that was when Carlo Ancelotti played with a 4-3-1-2, which again was unheard of in European football at the time. No one really had kind of done it in that kind of way going forward. But it allowed the likes of Shevchenko and Inzaghi to actually play their best kind of football going forward, not tracking back, having reliable midfielders in that team as well, always picking up afterwards as well. Gattuso doing a lot of dirty work for this team as well. So for me personally, those were my kind of first impressions of AC Milan from that 2003 final, especially against Juventus at Old Trafford. That was a really big thing for me going forward. Julian, what were your first thoughts of AC Milan, or first impressions of AC Milan when you were growing up? When I was growing up, I started watching, I was pretty much watching Serie A in, it was about 2009, 2010. So at the time, Inter was like, Inter, both Milan's were at the top, were pretty much the top teams in the league. Uh, mm. Inter came off winning uh, five Scudetti in a row. And then in 2011, Milan won. So the rivalry was really tense. But then all of a sudden, throughout my whole childhood, you know, after seeing Juventus win nine years in a row, nine, uh, nine seasons in a row, the Scudetto, it just all of a sudden, both Milan teams were below par and it took them been, they were so below par to the point where they weren't even qualifying for Champions League and it was just so unusual considering the tremendous amount of history that they hold and the high quality profile players that they've had in the past especially under Mourinho when it was in his uh, trouble winning season so and there's such a short amount of time it was just crazy how uh, the team the standards of the team significantly uh, dropped uh, in Inter and of course uh, Milan too just after winning the Scudetto in 2011 yeah. they finally after an 11 year uh, after an 11 year drought have finally uh, uh, clinched the uh, silverware yeah, I feel yeah. like a lot of uh, what had to do with Inter and Milan being so bad for a long time is that there wasn't a lot of money in Serie A yeah. there's still not a lot of money but the scouting was very bad for both teams. The management weren't that good. They weren't getting very good young players. They're normally getting like players past their best or that weren't really good enough or paying a lot for someone that wasn't really meant to be paid for a lot. Yeah, yeah. so kind of like overpaying just because they needed to replace. Because if you remember at that time as well, 2011, after they won the Scudetto, they had Ibrahimovic, Robinho in that team as well. I think Ronaldinho was there a season or two before as well yeah it was one of those things when you're kind of looking at thinking how are they going to replace these superstar names and they didn't because just like um lucas told us just now they were overspending and that actually caused such a big drought for the next couple four or five years for ac milan especially finishing outside of european football not just in terms of the europa league but in the champions league as well well, yeah because i was remembering back as well was it 2014 lucas when Kaká came back um, for a yeah, for a loan 20, as well. 2014. So what but, was that like for you as a fan when Kaká came back from Real Madrid? Um, it was exciting, hmm. but 
I didn't really have much expectations because we we knew Kaká was kind of past his best. He was old now, you know. Yep. It wasn't going to be like, oh, Kaká's going to be as magical as he once was. Mm. He's going to bring that brilliance, that spark. But he, he brought leadership is what he really brought. Yeah. I think you kind of needed that as well because I remember at the time you're going through different managers. There's so many manager changes every yeah. season. Yeah. The likes With of like, Seydorf, Inzaghi, yeah. Um, I think Leonardo was there bit earlier than that as well but you had so many different changes Gattuso had his time as a manager and it just never really stuck because you're buying a lot of these like you said a lot of these rather players that were past it like Nigel de Jong Alex was past it uh Rami yeah Rami was past it as well yeah, was past it. and Jeremy Menez was your main man at the time as well I think in that 2015 season so that was something crazy no, to see we even bought Diego Lopez you remember yeah that? Oh, okay. So you had Diego Lopez, you had uh, Menez, you had Bonaventura, Kaisuke Honda, we that we kind of team. We in 2014 also. Mm. It, it was just a mess. Like, when you're hiring Inzaghi, Seydor, for all these coaches that are, that done nothing. Yeah. And then just, yeah. even, not even giving them a chance. Like, you fire them after like a couple of weeks. It was a mess. It just, show, it just showed how much of a mess it was up, upstairs. Yeah, there was no structure to how to rebuild this team. They were just buying players all over the place, basically. There was no, like, plan, like, blueprint for mm-hmm. how to rebuild it. Like, when you sell Thiago Silva and Zlatan in one summer, mm-hmm. it's going to be very hard to replace those two players. Yeah. To keep players in that Scudetto push. Because I want to take it a few seasons forward as well, because you went to around 2017 when you finished sixth in the league as well, and that was seen as, progress but still not good enough but you had a new kind of look going in there as well the likes of Donnarumma was coming into the the first team as well at the time as well Benucci was that that was the season when you bought Benucci so it was Benucci yeah that was the Benucci season which you brought in so that was almost when you're kind of like oh yeah we can get a couple of these new players in as well but like you said there were some players that were wearing the shirt but they were pretenders in the shirt as well Cotroni didn't really do that well Andre Silva at the time was probably too young to take on that mantra of, mantra of number nine as well for AC Milan. But when you saw that kind of 2017 team, Lucas, did you feel a bit more hopeful? I know you finished sixth in that season, but uh, did you see something a bit different from the way that you were going about it? Yeah, because there was a little more young players coming into the team. Like even in the season before where you saw Locatelli, uh, Calabria, Cutrone, like just mm. different Primavera players coming into the team. Yeah. And just being integrated, you're like, okay, so maybe they have like a certain project here where they're gonna try and bring some of the some young Italian players or just young players in general, mm. right? And to try and time and try and strengthen up this team with young, fresh blood. And that's what I really liked about it as well. Because I mean I mean you didn't really get far in the Europa League as well in the 2016-17 season. Yeah, and then 2017 to 18 season, you're out in the round of 16 as well, which was crazy. So We've gone through the bad history. We've gone through the good history of modern history for AC Milan. Let's talk about the real start of it, where I personally, I was quite happy with this because this was kind of around the time when we started our podcast, to be fair, when yeah. uh, Pioli started doing bits at AC Milan. What I mean by bits is when he came in at the middle of the season. I think it was 1920 season he came in in the oh, middle. Oh. I also want to talk about uh, Gattuso. Because uh, yeah, go for it. Gattuso... As a coach, I don't think he got. I don't think he gets a lot of credit for what he did with uh, the team that he really had. He didn't really have a good team, and he didn't really have a lot of money to to spend on the team. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, 18, 19, he finished fifth. Mm. 
I think that was a pretty good season where, you know, Piotek, especially the winter sunny of Piotek, uh, was amazing. He really made players like Piotek, uh, Calabria, so many players that are like, you know, you think are average work and make them look good. Yeah. No, that's really good to hear as well. Because no, Piotek sure. is actually a very good player now as well. Um, but yeah, um, Julian, do you remember the manager before Pioli? Was it uh, Giampaolo? Giampaolo. Yeah, Giampaolo. Yeah. What, what do you know about him? Because to be fair, I don't really know much about Giampaolo as a manager. No, I, I didn't. I don't really remember much. I, I don't really remember much. Was it a short term? Was it a short term coach, uh, Lucas? I didn't. I don't even remember. Uh, he was there for like I'm pretty sure five games, just mm. for like a couple of weeks on Milan. But uh, he was at Sampdoria before. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, that I remember. Yeah, I just wasn't sure how long he stayed. Okay, yeah, so it wasn't really short. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, but yeah, we're going on to where Pioli joined uh, AC Milan. So that was around October 2019 as well, which yeah. is really good. And this is where the re-emergence really kind of started as well. Because I know in this season, they've won the, 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 won the Scudetto, which is fantastic. They won the league. But it's really how he built it from the ground up again. Because this was the first time in... I think God knows how long, six, seven seasons where AC Milan beat Juventus, I think. Um, I think you won 4-0, uh, didn't you, in that season, Lucas? No, uh, we came back from 2 nothing. It was after COVID. It was during the... The lockdown period. During COVID. Uh, we came back from 2 nothing down at halftime to beat them 4-2. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was in July, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember it now. Brilliant. That's, that's where I started to take a proper notice about AC Milan as well, so... The fact that it was the first time in God knows how long, I think it was again six, seven years that you scored that your highest total in the season, 63, 64 goals, something like that. And that's the way that you still had to change your way of playing as well, which is fantastic to see. And that's what really led us into talking a bit more about AC Milan on the podcast as well, because in October 2020, um, again, in the lockdown period, that's when AC Milan beat Inter Milan um, for the first time since 2016. That I remember yeah. because we were talking about that on the podcast as well. But that's when I really learned a bit more about how much AC Milan had really gone through. But Julian, as an Inter Milan fan, did you really see anything coming forward from um, Pioli? Because obviously Pioli, he had that term at Inter Milan as well as a manager. Did you really see him becoming like a top manager or a top coach for this AC Milan side? To be honest, at the beginning when he got hired, like I didn't expect too much of him. But I think like over the years, uh, like over after the like over the years that have gone by, like you saw him, you always have a strong start to the season. They were always at the top. They all like for the two three seasons in a row now. Juventus, uh, uh, Milan were, were pretty much first place throughout pretty the majority of the first half of the season. So this year, like I was assuming that uh, well, uh, especially after like all the big transfer moves that Inter went through before the season. I pretty much had Milan potentially winning the title. So like I, I thought that this was gonna be like uh this was gonna be his lucky shot where he was actually gonna win the jackpot on this one. I think a lot more Peel put Milan as favorites after Ronaldo left Juve. Yeah, that that definitely played a big uh that, made, that pretty much played a big factor for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Cause even when I was seeing it's it's basically like we talked about before recording as well. The recruitment that AC Milan started to buy in as well at the time, that was a really good way of going about it as well because that was when you were going for not these really big type name of plays. You're going for these really nice little loan moves like for Brahim Diaz. Uh, you're going for Jens Petter Hauger. 
uh, after he played during that Europa League qualifying campaign as well, which was really good. We brought a couple of young players on loan mm. and we, we bought them. You had Kessie on loan once upon a time, didn't you, as well? And you bought him. Who? Sorry? Kessie. So Kessie, when you got yeah, him he in. Was on loan from Atalanta. And then, uh, Atalanta, yeah. Uh, one player that I was really sad that didn't work out was Hauga. Yeah. I, I, really, I, I had a lot of hope for him. Especially, so especially what he did in the Europa League. Like, for the first few months of the season in 2020-2021, he mm. looked very good. His dribbling, his speed, uh, everything looked strong. But then, like, during the winter, during the second half of the season, he really started to decline yeah. and slow down. Mm. And now I don't even think he's doing too good at Frankfurt. Yeah, he didn't even get into the starting lineup for the Europa League campaign as well because they were just playing so well the way that they were going about yeah. it as well. So, I don't know, maybe next season could be a re-emergent season for him as well because they've just signed Mario Gotts there as well, Frankfurt. So, there's another player in, in a similar position to him that they could look at trying to beat him up. Um, beat him I, out would the say, well. uh, I would say the only good thing for Milan is that uh, they made a profit on him at least. Yeah. yeah. They, they made a nice juicy profit on him. They sold him for like $13 million to to Frankfurt. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But I feel like Frankfurt are good without him, to be fair. It's probably going to be a good squad player to have. But I think he was one of those players that could have hit the ground running a lot better at AC Milan because he did really well when he started. And it's the likes, it's the likes of like we said, Kalulu, Calabria's done really well. Yeah. Hernandez has been a joy to watch, not just oh, for sure. AC Milan as well, but for France. And I thought that was one of your key signings as well. Lucas, talk to me about Hernandez and talk to me about how oh. much of an impact he had as a not just as a left back or as a baller, but as a proper leader in that team. Because I saw him literally grow into a man the last couple of seasons for AC Milan. Uh, he's great. He brings like a lot of stability. Mm. At first, um, when he, in his first season, his attacking was just very different. It's like It was different to what we've had before with uh, Ricardo Rodriguez or uh, Laxalt. Yeah. His yeah, yeah. runs down the middle were just bombing runs. His pace, his dribbling. Not many people can catch up with him. He's like, they were just so shocked. What, what was he going to do next? What was his next move? Um, and also, he was a little bit older than the rest of the team. So, like, and he had, like, um, a little bit of experience. Even though he didn't play with Real Madrid in that Champions League winning campaign, he was on the team. So, like, he played with winners like Ronaldo, Benzema. So, it's like, he had that feeling of what it is to win and to play with winners and leaders. Mm. So, I feel like that was a big part of uh, his development and helping the other players on the team, like Ben Acer or Leal and others, just uh, to focus and grind the game out when you have to. Um, in the last couple of seasons, I'd say, mainly this season, his defending's really gotten better. Uh, he's made less mistakes. He doesn't do that stupid thing where he turns his back um, to the goal and he passes it right back to the goalie. And yeah, he's been a lot more smarter with the ball defending. I think he's been very good at pressing the ball as well. So he's really good at yeah. pressing the, the right winger or the overlapping fullback as well that's something I think he's improved on his game massively and I thought France would be taking a chance with him at the uh for the qualifications for the World Cup and even for the Nations League as well I thought it'd be a really good shot to have as a left back in this team for France let alone just for AC Milan but what I really wanted to know a bit more about is how it kind of made you feel when you kind of saw a re-emergence in that season before the Scudetto so when you finished second in 2020 to 2021 Lucas, what kind of worked well for you when you were watching an AC Milan team that 
were trying different things. They were going through different ways about it. Sorry, I've got hay fever, so my voice <laughs> is going a bit dry. Allergies, as we call it in the um, the yeah. USA. Um, but yeah, because that was again another another way when you're beating Juventus away for the first time for ten years, which you never did before as well. And when you're getting into the top five scorers in the league or top five European scorers as well, or so many different records you were breaking in that season before you actually won the Scudetto. So what really changed on the Pioli that you didn't really have under different managers for yourself, Lucas? Um, I think what really changed the whole Milan team was actually that Atalanta game, the 5-0. Okay. Talk to me about that because I need to be reminded of that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) With players like Ibra coming in, Kier... Um, more leaders, more veteranized players that were yeah. ready to, to, to motivate the team and lift this team up. Um, also, you had someone like Kier who was like, oh, I think he was like beginning of his 30s when he came. Um, he didn't really have too many good stints elsewhere before he came to Milan. So he was kind of coming here to prove something, you know. Yeah. But with that, he brought some motivation to the team. And he brought that leadership that we needed. And then with Ibra, we had a guy who was wanting to win. He wanted to show people what he can do that, you know, I can bring Milan back from the dead. I can bring this Milan back from a, a tragic 5-0 loss to back to the top. And that also really motivated the team. Mm. So I think players like Ibra and Kier really helped. And also purely because the team trusted him. Yeah. At the end of the day, the players trusted him. They listened to him. And also a lot of the players like Theo Hernandez, they say that Pioli changed me as a man, as a player, as a man, as a footballer, just in general. He's really helped me. So when you have a coach like that, that just doesn't help you as a player, but helps you as a person is really good. And that's probably what was, I think, the main thing that jump-started Milan into this um, resurgence. Yeah. And how important was it on your attack in midfielders as well? Because you had the likes of Rafael Leal coming through as well. Uh, Hakan Chalohogny was there at the time as well. Rebic, obviously, was at, the, um, was at the club. What did they really gain from playing in this new kind of way for Pioli? Because Italian football, as a lot of us kind of know, is mostly defensive, mostly making sure you're not conceding loads. And seeing AC Milan score a lot more goals against some of these teams like Juventus and Torino and Atalanta and, uh, yeah, just these kind of teams. What really changed for these attackers to be a bit more free, a bit more um, aggressive, really, for yourself, Lucas? What did you kind of see? Um, I think mainly uh, Pioli's system, the way he plays. Yeah. It's very like free-flowing, but also it's pretty counter-attacking. So it's mm. like it's a lot about the press. So it's like they, they try and win the ball, and they try and counter very fast. And with players like Rebic, Leal, um, and then Chalonoldo, who can who is really able to to kind of break the lines. He had that playmaking ability, you know, to to see um, a runner in the open space, which is something that I like Diaz, but I don't think he can do. Yeah. Compared yeah. to, to Chalonoldo, even though Chalonoldo may not have been very consistent with Milan, the one thing that he did have is that playmaking ability to to open the game up a bit. Definitely, uh, it makes sense as well because. A couple of stats from that season as well before uh, when you finished second in that season as well. Uh, AC Milan were unbeaten for 24 league games and that was their longest run since 1993. And yeah. AC Milan, when they beat Lazio in December, they were the second side in the history of Europe's top five leagues have scored two or more goals in more than 15 successive games in a calendar year. And I think Pioli ended up finishing 
with the second highest win percentage in Serie A history for AC Milan as well. So it goes to show that everything can change from a manager. It can change from a mindset and it can change from literally learning from different ways going about it as well. Um, But Julian, as an opposition fan as well, what did you kind of notice from AC Milan that you were like, oh crap, they're actually doing quite well now. They've actually done really well. They've got a really good system under Pioli. What did you thought, what did you think, sorry, that you thought, oh no, they're going to be catching up with Juventus now. They're going to be catching up with Inter Milan now. What did you kind of think about that? Yeah, no, I think it just, it definitely has to do with buying these, seeing how well these young players are progressing. Like, if you look at Tomori, for instance, he was somebody who was left out of Chelsea, not make, pretty much making the national team, and mm. not getting any call minutes with the with England. And all of a sudden, he played that uh, Milan Derby last season in the Coppa Italia semifinals. I believe that was his first ever appearance based in Milan. And he, he gelled perfectly. Like, he looked brilliant. And look at Kaludu, it was only 10 million euros. And he was a... A solid, uh, a solid full defender who could, who's very diversified. He could play a fullback, centre back. All these little signings that, all these signings that may seem so small, are pretty much like are filling up the canvas of this uh, resurgence of for Milan and definitely Rafael Leal too. I think Pioli definitely got the best out of Leal. That left hand side is just so dangerous every time, no matter who's the opposition. Like. Nine out of ten times, he's going to get through when it comes to those one-on-one situations. Absolutely, yeah. And Lucas, I just wanted to know a bit more about, um, obviously, your Scudetto winning season as well, because yeah. obviously this is why we've got you on for this one as well, to learn a bit more about how well they did, because it was such a young team that won the Scudetto for the first time since, I think, 2011 for AC Milan as well. It was a dethroning of Inter Milan as well, so Hakan Chanahoglu, Finished second for the twice in two seasons. They went to the wrong Milan type side, both sides as well. But um, before we get into anything, I just wanted to know what impact did Paolo Maldini's role off the field have with the types of players that you recruited for AC Milan? And what um, really benefited your team by having Paolo Maldini in that role of trying to look for some of these players? Well, it's, it's like when Paolo Maldini calls you and he says, hey, I want you to come to Milan. I really think you can be a big part of this project. It's very hard to say no to him, right? Mm. And also, this he has this aura. Like, a lot of players talk about, like, he's always in training, helping, giving tips, giving advice. Um, so, if you're, like, a defender, right? Like, Tomori, yeah. you're a defender. And Paolo Maldini calls you and says, hey, come to Milan. I'll give you opportunity. I want you to play here under this Milan. I want you to be one of the focal points of this project it's very easy to, to say, okay, sure, I'll come. Because of how I would see it as well, because there's so much that I want to learn about how that mm-hmm. mindset just changed over a couple of years as well. Because when we were just talking about, what, 10 minutes ago about how you were in 2017, having some of these players that, like you said, don't deserve to wear the shirt. It's crazy to see how it can just change with a couple of people in the right roles, in the right ways of trying yeah. to re-emerge this side as well, which is, which is fantastic. And, what was your kind of favorite moment from that season, Lucas, of last season when you actually won the Scudetto? Um, what was the what was the biggest thing for AC Milan that you thought, you know what, we could actually win a league title this season? Oh, you know, if I'm being honest, I didn't really feel like we could we were gonna win it until Seriously. until the second last year in Satalanta. Mm. I really didn't feel like we're gonna win it. We're gonna we're gonna take it. Until that came in Atalanta, where we just saw 
a dominant performance from Milan. And to finish it off, we had that tail, that, that solo goal from Teo Hernandez, where yep. he went from his own half to... Yeah, to, that was incredible. Right? I think that's when I started to fully believe, you know, okay, there's a reality. We can actually win the Scudetto. Because this Inter team, it's still a very strong team. It had players like Perisic, who, was, who's having, who had a phenomenal season. Yeah. He's on fire. He was on fire for the whole season. He didn't look like he's 32 or 30-something. 30 looks like he's 25. Yeah. Um, Skriniar, who in my opinion is the best defender in Serie A. I don't know how he didn't win the award, but um, Bastoni, there, it's just a solid team that we had to face, right? That also didn't drop points against the little teams. Inter hardly ever dropped points against the little teams compared to Milan. Yeah. So uh, I didn't have faith until that Atalanta game because I'm like, okay, even if we do beat Atalanta, we may lose to Sassuolo. Yeah. Because that's what started the banter, really. Sassuolo, that 4 3 yeah. game where they scored a hat trick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah, were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then earlier in the season, when we versus Sassuolo. Uh, it was a nightmare with Berardi just killing Romagnoli. And... Yeah, that's all. I, that's all I was thinking about the, the last heading into the last game of the season. Yeah, so it's like, whenever we face Sassuolo, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a long game. This won't be any fun. On a side note, I'm surprised that Berardi has stayed at Sassuolo for such a long time as well. I yeah, he's a lot better to play than what he is at, mm-hmm. at that team as well, which is crazy. Um. But yeah, like you said, because it actually did go down to the wire in Italy. It was like a two, three horse race for a good couple of months coming up to that end of the season as well, which is crazy. But you mentioned earlier, the both of you, um, about how Cristiano Ronaldo's departure from Juventus impacted both the Milan clubs as well in a better way. Julian, why don't you talk to me a bit more about how Juventus had to change that season as well? Because they obviously they got Vlahovic in January. But amongst other Italian supporters... Did they kind of see, oh, yeah, Juventus are a lot weaker now. They've lost that kind of mentality monster up front with Ronaldo. What kind of change for Juventus that kind of allowed AC and Inter Milan to think, you know what, we can go for it another season as well. Go for it during this tournament. But I think it's just because, like, Ronaldo, like, not only was he a fantastic player, but because he was older, like, kind of like Ibrahimovic, he had that, like, father figure approach with all the with all the Juventus players, whereas not that Dusan Vlaovic is not a good player, but it's just that they're at different stages of their career. Like, and I think Ronaldo had a huge role to play, especially with this Juventus squad. It's a lot younger, and you have Chiellini and Bonucci heading towards the exit, whereas Inter and Milan, uh, although, like, there are some older players, they're pretty much... Um, they're pretty much filled with middle-aged and younger players. So, like, mm. I just felt like they have more of a ball. They have more of a balance, I find, compared to the, the U- U- Juventus. And I think that's what allowed. Uh, in and also like uh, especially what I found too is that a lot of these players within the Milan and Inter squads, uh, Inter Milan squads played with each other for longer periods of time compared to the Juventus. So, like some of the new signings and stuff. So I felt like that kind of gave them a bit of an upper edge as well. Yeah, I would say so as well, because even with the AC Milan side, they had a manager that they've had for a good couple of years as well. They had a good couple of years, exactly, yeah. With Juventus, it was Allegri coming back in again after what after happened last season. Yeah. yeah, I thought Polo was an awful manager. I know he won trophies, but I think his way of playing wasn't wasn't great for Juventus. It didn't I think Pirlo didn't uh, know what he wanted to do. I think every game was very different. He didn't know how to... Yeah. He didn't really have a set tactic. He didn't know what formation he wanted to use. Like, 
I feel like he probably made his decisions on the the game day. He's like, okay, today we're gonna use a three five two, and the next game we're gonna use the four four two. Like the players never really had a chance to get used to to one system, one tactic, and really find out what he wanted and what his philosophy was. Definitely, no, and that's that's what I really respect and appreciate about Pioli and what he's done because he respects his way of thinking, he respects his style of play, he respects his coaching methods as well, and that's what the players reciprocate back as well. They appreciate what is actually done for AC Milan and. Obviously, the fans do as well, because when you're following such a good coach, I'm not going to call him great just yet. I think he's got a couple more seasons to become a great coach, which will be fun to see if he can do that. If he does well in the Champions League this season, well, everyone will be watching how they do Champions of Italy now. Um, but no, realistically speaking, Lucas, what are you looking forward to next season as a as an AC Milan fan? Is there anyone in particular that you think AC Milan should sign? Because Julian and I were talking about how Hakim Ziyech is being linked with a move to AC Milan this summer. What are your thoughts on that? And who else do you think AC Milan should sign this summer? Um, I think Ziyech would be a pretty good signing for Milan. Um, maybe because what Maldini and Massara and uh, the management are looking for is a player that can play as the 10, but also as that right winger. Okay. They want a very versatile player that can play in both roles, which is something that uh, I think they, they thought Brahim Diaz could do, but He's he really was only used in that 10 spot. I never really saw him on the wings. Mm. You know, I think that would be pretty interesting if we ever tried him on the right wing to see how he would fit. Um, another one that I, I would want would be Asensio. I feel like he can be a player that can come into this Milan team and uh, prove something, prove a point. I think with Asensio, I think Ancelotti does like him. He does like him with those five sub rules in the Champions League. He's always someone that can come on Maybe in some of the uh, the smaller games, he can control the game a bit more, come into the middle of the p- uh, field and help dictate the play with Modric, Cruz, Casemiro. Because I know sometimes they'll play like Valverde on the right, but Asensio does have yeah. that inner control as well. But if you got Asensio to AC Milan, because that would be a marquee signing. That would be fantastic yeah. to see because I still think he'd do a really good job at a top Premier League club as well, top uh, La Liga club as well. Um, that is at Real Madrid. So honestly, having like a left-footed player I was thinking, would you go for someone like Juan Mata? Would Juan Mata be someone that you'd be interested in? I don't know. Like, I haven't watched much of Juan Mata, really, because he doesn't really play. Absolutely. Like, I, I don't know if he's still able to keep up with uh, the pace of other teams and be able to play in a, a high-paced team. That's what he didn't do under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He couldn't keep up in that high-paced kind of counter-attacking style of play that Solskjaer would play. But when um, he was playing under Van Hal or Mourinho, when they played slower types of football, that was when he was playing his better football at Manchester United as well. So it's just one of those things with Pioli because he does play fast plays, high tempo football, and he expects a lot from his number 10, especially. Mm-hmm. I kind of get your reasons as to why Mata wouldn't be the, the best one to go for, really. A uh, player that I think would be interesting for me like, would be Zaniolo, but the Roma's price is unreasonable, I feel like. How much he, are they quoted? I'm pretty sure like 60 million, 60, 70 million for him. We were talking about that earlier, weren't we, Julian? Early in the year about Zaniolo being priced out and literally yeah. because of that injury. What do you think? Yeah. Do you reckon Zaniolo should actually leave Roma or do you reckon it should be someone someone cheaper than Zaniolo? Because it's literally one bad injury from actually being um, just out of the team again, which we've seen. Yeah, before. yeah. For, for for Roma's sake, like in terms of a business move, I think it would be best to, to sell him this, God forbid, he does get injured one more time. 
But if he were to stay healthy, I would love to see him as uh, at um, at Roma for a lifetime. For a lifetime, I think he could be. I think it would be nice to have like a one man a one man club. Uh, Zaniolo would be a one man club player yeah. for sure. Absolutely. No, I, I would say that as well because a, a lot less players that are now one man clubs as well. So yeah, I yeah, thought, yeah. I, thought, I personally thought Donnarumma would have been a one man uh, one man yeah, club, but absolutely. Didn't happen for AC Milan, but obviously when he leaves, they win the league. So win-win for AC Milan right there. Yeah, yeah. Which would I, be good. I never really had a hope with Donnarumma being a one-man uh, person on a club. Mm. After just like with 2018, even how he was wanting to leave, but he only renewed his contract because he felt forced, and because Milan went to go and talk to his family. And they said that they'd sign his brother. Mm. It felt like he didn't want to stay. He felt like he it felt like he was forced to stay. And then when he had the opportunity to leave, he left. Yeah. And now even that he left, PSG tries to victimize himself, saying that, oh, they kind of forced me out. They pushed me out the door. Mm. Even though it was him and Mino Raiola who were being unreasonable at points. And sometimes wouldn't answer Maldini's calls for the renewal. So, you know, it's a good thing that he's gone because I feel like he 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 just didn't want to be there. If yeah. you don't want to be there, don't be here. Go, go no. to Paris. Uh, now you're seeing that life isn't as good as on the other, as it is in Milan. Absolutely, the grass isn't green on the other side, which we've seen past. Yeah, which is great. Um, but yeah, let's go back to transfer scene as we are kind of talking about in the summer as well. What are your kind of thoughts on what's happened so far? Kessie is he still leaving on a free? Um, Florenzi is he going to stay? Is Florenzi there on a loan or did you buy him? Um, Milan bought him. Milan bought him in the end. Okay, that's really good. And then Bakayoko, did you buy him as well? No, uh, Bakayoko, they're looking to send him back. Okay, good. I would say so. But what was the, yeah. what, what was the talk about Kessie? Is he staying? Is he leaving? Um, Kessie's going to Barca, but right now uh, there's a situation with Barca, you know, with their money and yeah, they don't know if they can register him. Yeah. Like, they agreed on the contract and stuff, but right now they're having trouble registering players like uh, Christensen, Kessier. So who knows what's going to happen with him, but I don't think he's going to come back to Milan. It's one of those like rigmaroles around Europe. You've got the whole Frankie de Jong thing, then you've got Kessie here, then you've got Aspliqueta and Christensen there looking to come in. Lewandowski, of course, and Bayern all revolve around this whole Barcelona uh, yeah. show that's happening. I wasn't going to swear, but this bad show that's happening at Barcelona <laughs> as well, which ain't great. But um, no, Julian, from an Inter Milan perspective, what are you most scared of AC Milan next season as well? Do you reckon they'll be strengthening a lot more as well? Do you reckon? Giroud will still be a quality striker or do you reckon they need one more striker to actually come in and bring a bit more uh, firepower to this team? What do you think? I think one more striker would help because I feel like a lot of the attack had to re- relied on uh, Leal. Like, although Giroud did have like good moments, I feel like most of the time, if it wasn't if Leal was off, then like the whole front line was off and Zlatan's getting towards the end. I, with his ACL torn yet again, like I think he's pretty much done. So I think an attacker would help. I believe Divac Origi was, I don't I believe they were signing Divac Origi on a free transfer, if Lucas, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah with Origi, so... do you reckon it could be a proper starter? Because we've seen for a number of years, good six years, I think, being a bench warmer and coming on up for like these clutch moments for Liverpool, which is great. But can you rely on him for a whole season at? AC Milan, Lucas, what do you think? Um, I don't know. I don't think he can be a starter. Mm. 
but also there is a part of me that think he can. Okay. You know, it, it just all depends on if we get another striker, if we get um, a top young striker, if we, or if we stick with Giroud Ibarrigi, which yeah. I think we. It just all depends on what the scenario is and how we spend the money. And even with Origi as well, he can sometimes play off the wing. He can sometimes play off the left as well, which would be which would be yeah. decent. And yeah, just in terms of who you're looking at uh, bringing in, we mentioned Ziyech earlier. Any other expected Im- improvements over the summer, Lucas? Do you reckon there'll be anyone else coming in? Maybe another centre-back, maybe. Uh, Roman, Robin Ogley was what? A uh, free transfer, wasn't he? So looking yeah. at anyone else to bring in. Uh, well, we were looking at Botman, but uh, obviously Newcastle took him. Um. We haven't really been linked with many other center backs uh, okay. since. Honestly, I think I would personally like to see Romagnoli renew. I think yeah. we should personally renew Romagnoli, make him as a backup to Kalulu yeah. and Tomori with Kier. Those two will be our backups because I really think Kalulu and Tomori have formed a, an amazing partnership. Yeah. It's like they're they're in sync. Um, you, I, I don't think now you can separate those two. So I think at this point, you sign Romagnoli, re-sign him, um, make him as a backup, and then focus on other positions that you need to improve, like the attacking midfielder, because we're very weak there. Yeah. Uh, that's being talked about a lot for the attacking midfielder is De Ketelar. Ooh. Um, yeah, from yeah, Club yeah. Bruges, right? Club Bruges. Bruges yeah. yeah. What a player. Oh, he'd be fantastic to see in the Serie A and the Champions League as well. It'd be fantastic because it, it did yeah. really well for Club Bruges yeah. last season as well. Really hot prospects as a youngster going, coming forward as well. Mm-hmm. So that would be really cool to see him in Syria. But you, you were talking about Sven Botman as well. Uh, Sven Botman is someone who you you think in their right mind they'd go to AC Milan over Newcastle. But because of the new money with Newcastle, you're just kind of thinking, why would you want to go just for the money? Go for, to someone where they've got Champions League football, like he yeah. did at Lille, um, getting proper first-team football as well. Botman and uh, Tomori would be a fantastic centre-back partnership for as sure. well. Especially the, that the passing range he has is fantastic. The the problem was that Bodman wanted to come to Milan. Actually, he was he was holding out for a while. He was holding out for two weeks, uh, rejecting Newcastle's offers and rejecting Newcastle's offers. But the problem was, uh, Lille, mm. since they're in very bad financial situation, they wouldn't sell to Milan because Milan was only offering thirty million. They weren't going to go yeah. up, and they just said thirty million, take it or leave it. We don't care. We already have personal terms agreed with Bodman. Mm. And he kept on rejecting Newcastle. So a lot of Milan fans are like, okay, will he keep on rejecting them? Will he keep on rejecting them? Because by July, um, you will have to accept most offers, no matter what it was. Yeah. So we were like, okay, come on, Bowman, reject, reject, reject. But in the end, we kind of understood because you want to go for a preseason. Like preseason needs to start soon. And you can't keep on waiting and waiting and waiting for, for a team. And you don't know if Newcastle is going to pull out anytime soon. So once Deal already accepted the offer, he's like, okay, you know what? I'll just join them because it doesn't look like Milan will, will go any further. Crazy. Honestly, it's just the fact that summer transfers are just like the worst things ever and sometimes the best things ever. But imagine, yeah. like I said before, Botman and Tomori would have been one of those iconic future type of centre-back partnerships. For sure. They were really, really good together, but... The way it's gone for Lille, unfortunately, has just affected AC Milan. I thought it would have been a fantastic signing for them yeah. as well. Really good. I was concerned. Romanogli. 
as an Inter fan, I was concerned about the bot. I was really concerned about the Botman signing because I knew if Botman arrived at Milan, it was going to be a, a trouble for many years uh, with those two having those two in the back as uh, pillars for Milan. Mm. Even if Milan were to switch to a three at the back with uh, Kalulu tomorrow. With Kalulu, exactly. Yeah. And then that just has more freedom for Theo Hernandez and um, Calabria, wouldn't it? As yeah. a right wing back. As wing backs instead of full back. That would have been nice too. Yeah. And yeah, you It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> uh, you know how the way the Newcastle do. It, it is what it is, unfortunately. That's the world of football. Um, but yeah, just before we wrap up the podcast, I just wanted to ask both of you. What's the one thing you're expecting from AC Milan next season um, in the Champions League, in the uh, Serie A, whatever it is? What's the one thing you're expecting? You're expecting more goals? You're expecting more firepower? What's the one thing that you're expecting the most? Uh, Juliet, we'll go with you first. I think more goals. I think especially AC Milan with the signings that they're trying to make now, they're trying to produce, be more efficient offensively. So I'm expecting more, more goals. Hmm. More goals will be the one. Lucas, how about yourself? Um... I'm expecting more of a a fight, more goals, because in games against Liverpool, yeah, the one that really made me upset was the last game against Liverpool. They played uh their B team, right? Yeah, your C team with a couple like very young players, like um, and it's just we lost, right? We we got crushed. We didn't even play very good. Mm. We got one lucky goal, and that was it. And then we just got obliterated by Origi, Salah. Firmino after he came on the bench, off the bench. Harvey so, Elliott playing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that game was the one that really uh, frustrated me. Mm. But then some of the other games in the Champions League, like against that, the two games against Atletico, the first game against Liverpool, it, it was good. Mm. But I think when you put up more of a fight, be able to score more goals, which the way that you have to do that is fixing the attacking department. Definitely. Not being over reliant basically on Rafael Leal, and obviously with Zlatan the way that he is as well. Like you said, if Origi can come in and actually do a really good job, then it just means that you've got a lot more firepower. And in Pioli's system, the the striker is free to do and and shoot as he pleases, which is great. And that's what I love about this new look Italian side. It's um, Serie A side for AC Milan. It's a breath of fresh air, really, because I was telling Julian when he first came on the podcast. I never really would give a damn about like watching Serie A games on a Sunday evening. I'd probably just do something else, but I'd fully go out my way to be like, now nah, I've got to watch AC Milan, I've got to watch Inter Milan, I've got to watch Juventus because it's a lot more exciting, it's a lot more free-flowing in how they play and it's been really enjoyable to watch and hopefully we can see a lot more enjoyable football next season for, for AC Milan going forward as well. So really looking forward to it. But uh, Julian, any closing words from you about AC Milan being an Inter Milan fan yourself? What do you think? Where do you think they'll finish next season? I don't think they're going to win it next year, but I, I think they'll definitely make Champions League again. I can see them in the top three for sure. Definitely. And Lucas, one last question for me. Are AC Milan back? Are they back to being a big team now? Big club? Um, I think there's still more work to do. There, there's still more to improve. There's still more to do. Because if you're looking at what Juve are doing so far this summer, Mm. With the likes of Di Maria and Pogba coming in, uh, look at Inter this summer. They're bringing back Lukaku. Um, they're targeting Dybala. They're they're looking to improve. While Milan's like they're looking to improve also, but they're kind of stuck right now because they don't want to spend too much, but also they want to look for quality youngsters, which is very hard to find at a cheap price. Um, and if Milan 
do the same thing as last season. They don't fix that attacking mid and that right wing spot. I see us staying at third. Yeah. No, so I, I wouldn't say we're back yet. I think we have to wait until the end of the summer to see what happens. Really smart answer there because I was thinking, oh, yeah, we're back. We've won the league. But no, because of everyone else around you as well, of how they're developing, all, all the money that they're spending and all the free transfers they're getting in as well. Very smart free transfers and, and loans as well. We're, get, we're in for a really big title race next season in Italy, which will be really fun for us to see. Um, but yeah, that was, that's the end of our episode. So everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Julian, thank you for coming on to the podcast again. It's great to have you on. And Lucas, thank you for joining us for the very first time. If you ever want to talk about AC Milan again, just join us again. And honestly, we love talking about different clubs and we love the variety that we get on the show as well, which is fantastic. So hope everyone enjoyed this little summer series of learning a bit more about AC Milan and what we can expect from them next season. So um, Julian, where can we find you? And Lucas, where can we find you on social media once again? So just um, let, let the listeners know. Julian, you first. Yes, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Calcio with Julian. Calcio Julian. And Lucas, how about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Calcio underscore underscore talk. Brilliant. Nicely done. And you know where we can find us at Friday Night Counterattack. So looking forward to it. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>